Let us pray. Father, thank you for your promise that Jesus is the bread of life and that we live in and through him. So, Lord, bring us more fully into the life of Christ in all that we are and in all that we do. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, good morning. You may be seated at home if you're standing. So glad that you joined us again by live stream. I'd invite you to take out your Bibles or devices with Scripture on them. We're looking specifically today at our Gospel reading from St. Matthew's Gospel. And this is one of those hard sayings of Jesus, one that can easily be misunderstood and even abused if it is not understood rightly in light of the whole counsel of Holy Scripture. The things that Jesus has to say here, rightly understood, are profoundly challenging, but they are also transformative for us as the people of God. And I believe that rightly understanding what Jesus is saying here in these verses in Matthew chapter 10 really hinges upon our understanding of verse 34, where Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not to come to bring peace, but a sword. And I know that scripture and that those words of Jesus raise a lot of questions for us. And we must ask questions like, how do we reconcile these words of Jesus with what Isaiah prophesied, saying that Jesus is the Prince of Peace? Where in Isaiah chapter 9, he wrote, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Or how do we reconcile these words in Matthew chapter 10 with Jesus' words to the disciple who had Jesus arrest in Matthew chapter 26? That disciple drew his sword and cut off the ear of the high priest's servant and Jesus responded to him, put up your sword again into its place for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. In chapter 10 of Matthew's gospel, it is clear that Jesus is not speaking of a literal sword but he is speaking figuratively. And more significantly, the sword rightly understood gives us a picture of Jesus Christ and his work. Now the Bible as God's written word speaks of scripture being a sword. In Hebrews chapter four, verse 12, we're reminded, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of soul and of the spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. But beyond this passage that talks about the word of God, scripture being a sword, Jesus Christ himself is also the eternal word. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, speaking of Jesus. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then again, our reading today from Matthew's gospel, Jesus says in verse 34, again, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. And here in this verse, 
Figuratively, Jesus himself is depicted as the sword, the one who divides between love and loyalty to the things of this world, which is passing away, and the love of those whose devotions and loyalty are wholeheartedly to Christ and to his eternal kingdom. As C.S. Lewis writes in Mere Christianity, Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the tooth or crown it or stop it, but to have it out. Hand over the whole natural self, all the desires which you think are innocent as well as the ones you think are wicked, the whole outfit. I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours. This is what Jesus speaks of when he speaks of himself being a sword, where he divides again between love and loyalty to the things of this world and wholehearted love and loyalty to Christ and to his kingdom. And speaking of peace, we must remember that true, genuine, and lasting peace comes through Jesus Christ alone. But it is not some sort of earthly temporal peace as people around us may think of. The peace that Christ offers, rather, is first and foremost peace with God. Hear that, peace with God. Because through Christ's death, by his atoning blood of the cross, each of us who trust in him are reconciled to God. We who were God's enemies are no longer God's enemies, but now by his grace, we are God's beloved children. And God even goes so far as to call us his friends. And as God's children this very day in the Holy Eucharist, we are transported back, if you will, to that definitive moment in history when this reconciliation was accomplished. As we're reminded of Christ's once for all eternal sacrifice for us. And as we who are Christ's treasured possession receive him anew as believers in faith, partaking of his body and blood in the Eucharist. Secondly, we not only have peace with God through Christ, but we also have the peace of God through Jesus Christ. The peace which St. Paul reminds us passes all understanding. Philippians 4 verse 7. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We must remember that this peace of God which we have as a reality through Jesus Christ, passes understanding and it is not tethered to the things of this world. And I think that's an important lesson for us to remember in such a time as this. Because somehow we still, even though we know we have peace with God and we have the peace of God as reality offered to us, Sometimes we still allow ourselves to be tethered to the things of this world. And when some of those things, even in, a, in some minor way as we're going through in this season, in this country, are stripped away from us, it's unsettling. And we seem to, to lose some sense of the peace of God. And yet that peace cannot ever be tethered to the things of this world. 
The peace of God is anchored in and springs from a living relationship with the eternal Son of God. It springs forth from the life of Christ within us. The life which Christ gives us does not promise us worldly comfort. Despite what some in our culture and even in the church might say. God never promises us worldly comfort. He never promises us that everything will go smoothly. But in the midst of the trials, there's an infusion of his life and his grace and his transforming power that comes into us and raises us up, transforming us in the midst of earthly difficulties and earthly trials. As one commentator writes about this passage, Christ's sword comes to destroy our illusions, our self-deceptions, and to open in our being a blessed wound that will be our clear window to truth and love. We have peace with God, and we have the peace of God through Christ and through him alone. So as we live out the reality of this wonderful transforming life of Christ by his grace, today's gospel gives us two very real real examples of the implications of love for Christ and what this love means for us as citizens of his kingdom. Examples which help us to both engage in, I believe, introspection and also in practical terms to consider the depth of our love, of your love, of my love for Jesus Christ. And I pose these two examples to all of us, but especially to myself this morning as two questions. And the first question is this. Is my love, is your love for Christ unrivaled by our love of earthly relationships? Jesus in Matthew 10 is not attacking or denigrating family relationships and natural human attachments. Far be it from the truth. Instead, he is calling us to a right and godly ordering of our affections and our priorities. A right ordering that is in continuity with the entirety of Holy Scripture. Not just an idea that is unique to Matthew's gospel or unique to the four gospels. Think back to the Ten Commandments that we recite every Sunday during Lent. The Ten Commandments in in God's Old Testament word in Exodus and Deuteronomy reflect this right ordering of priorities. Remember the first four of the Ten Commandments begin with how we rightly relate to and worship God. You shall have no other gods but me. You shall not make for yourself any idol. You shall not take the, Lord, the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day. And keep it holy. And then commandments 5 through 10. Out of this right relationship with God. Then address how we are to rightly relate to our beloved family members. And to our neighbors and people we interact with day by day. Beginning with the family. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear a false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet. Brothers and sisters, it is only 
It is only as our love for God surpasses our love for other people and it surpasses the things of this world that we are then fully able to love those around us with the love of God. Loving them with God-given, Christ-like love, even if they reject it, even if they revile or persecute us because of our love for and our faithfulness to Christ and his kingdom above all else. Is my love, is your love for Christ unrivaled by our love for any earthly relationship? And then the second and final question posed is this. Is my love, is your love for Christ unrivaled by our love for our own physical life? Matthew 10 verses 38 through 39 we read, And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake, means for the sake of Jesus, will find it. Jesus calls every one of us. And this is a challenge, especially in our affluent culture here in Northern Virginia and in the United States. Jesus calls every one of us who is a believer to lay aside all that this, world's off, this world offers in exchange for the fullness of true life in him. Will we, do we heed this call to take up the cross-centered life? Are we willing to heed this call out of obedience? Again, especially in such a season as, season as this, laying aside our wants, our desires, our ambitions, laying aside the stuff and the trappings of this world in order to more fully enter into this life, Christ calls us to through the path of true unreserved discipleship. That is the call of Jesus to us today, brothers and sisters. Jesus calls us to, and he promises to empower us for nothing less than this, to a cross-centered life where we die to self, where we die to the things of this world in exchange for the life, the fullness of life through Jesus Christ and through him alone. God has given to us glorious examples in his holy apostles, in the martyrs of old, and even in martyrs of our own day, of people who are willing to lay down everything even their very physical lives for the gospel, for Christ and for his kingdom. And we sometimes lose sight of that, that even right now in places around the world, in places in Africa, in the Middle East, in places like North Korea, that believers are laying down their lives where they've been stripped of everything, everything but their life in Christ itself. God also gives us wonderful examples down through the ages of believers who, though they may not have been physically martyred, they may not have laid down their physical lives for the gospel. They still live lives dead to the things of this world, which is passing away so that they could fully live alive for Christ and for his kingdom. May we, as believers in Christ, as people who are being transformed by the life of Christ within us, as people who have both peace with God through Jesus Christ and the peace of God 
in and through Jesus Christ. May we continue growing to more fully and wholeheartedly serve our Lord with an unrivaled love for him as he imparts his grace and his power to us, transforming us day by day more fully into his likeness. And we, may we then in turn fully love others with the love of Christ that has been poured into us. And finally, may the prayer and the cry of our hearts be, as the psalmist writes in Psalm 115, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Let us pray. Father, search our hearts. Father, search my heart. And Lord, by your gracious transforming power, strip away in us love for the things of this world that would somehow set themselves up as idols that in some way competes for love for Christ, the eternal Son of God who died for us and rose again and sits at your right hand. Strip those things away so that our love for you and for your kingdom will be unrivaled. Lord, may we lay aside willingly those things of this world that would hinder us from fullness of life and love through Jesus Christ our Lord. And God, as we do that, pour your grace into us, pour your life into us, that we would become more and more like Jesus for the glory of your name. And this we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen.